Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Sometimes when you're scrolling through Twitter, there are little headlines that grab your attention more than others, like to get you to click the link to a story. CBS News just tweeted, Man pushes BMW into river because he wanted a Jaguar for his birthday. Porky, I think I'll click and read that story. Yeah, I know how he feels for sure. Yeah, that's definitely how I grew up. That, Could you please retweet? The, I want to read as well. Good Lord. Yeah, it's uh, C- CBS News on Twitter if you want to uh, check that out. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing, financing needs, financing, financing needs, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for well over 100 years, and they've got it figured out. They can help you if you're a farmer with equipment loans, buying a new piece of property, getting your production loans, or many of the other needs that you may have, or if you're building a dream house in the country or maybe looking for that recreational piece of property Mississippi Land Bank can work with you. You can find a branch location near you in North Mississippi at their website, mslandbank.com. Tuesday afternoon, one day closer to the start of the college football season, 18 days until August 31st. And uh, I guess if you back uh, seven days out of that, we're just 11 days away from Florida and Miami kicking off the college football season. Boys, what's up? How are you on a Tuesday? Aside from the crippling heat, everything's going pretty well around here. Brother, it is hot. You were wondering when this was going to come, right? Because we've had a pretty, for Mississippi standards, I've only been here, I mean, this I'm going on year 10 almost. Well, um, but it's been this a mild summer. been a really mild summer for my experience living here. Uh, today just ruined all of it. Ruined it? I Not mean, it's, really. It, but it felt ooh. like summer, what summer was. I mean, it's really look, this week. Don't lose sight of that week in July where we had temperatures like in the low 80s and it was cool when you walked out of that house, the house. And that doesn't happen. Now, if you could flip-flop and have like a baking, smoking hot July and then get those kind of days in August, I would be on board with that. But I think we were all pretty happy when we got the little bit of a break in July also. Oh, yeah, buddy. And this weekend's going to be brutal. But for whatever it's worth to you, the highs starting on Sunday here in the Jackson area, 91, 90, 91, 91, 90. <laughs> so some relief is coming Which next is pretty week. hot, by the way. It's not for here. It's not. Fair enough. Hey, Dad, this is your kind of weather, right? You love it when it's 100 degrees outside. What? God no, no. Yeah, I, I despise this kind of weather. 
This was an argument I've had with many people. Oh, I'd much rather be hot than cold. No, that is the opposite of the truth. This is miserable. Yeah, I think I would rather be hot than cold. I didn't used to be that way, but I've kind of evolved to that. But what I really like is just right. Like Colorado a couple of weeks ago, I think the warmest it got the whole time we were there was 81. And the lows were like in the mid to upper 50s. That's pretty close to just right. I and oh, by the way, that. no humidity. I can live with that. that. That would be fantastic. I could see you in another life being a uh, a resident of the West or upper Midwest. I can live anywhere. You know, it's funny with being my, my ethnic background, you think the heat wouldn't bother me, but I can't stand it. Your ethnic background? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a desert person, you know. Jeez. When's the last time you you traveled to one of those places? The last time I was in a desert, uh, I went to Las Vegas in 2013. There was a record high that day. It was, it was uh, 112. Yeah. Well, good for you. It's not, yeah. the, uh, it's not the same desert you were actually referring to, though. Probably you? not. No, I don't think a little, little more Middle Las Eastern. Vegas. Yeah, a little. Yeah. yeah. What's up, Rippy? Not much. It's hot. <laughs> oh, the man of many words, Brian Scott Rippy, with you. Got a bunch to get to this afternoon. I'm sorry. Did I interrupt you? No, 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 not at all. It was like deep breath as if you were about to say something else and then nothing came out. No, I was scrolling through something on Facebook that alarmed me. Not that, not repeatable. Not that's worth sharing on the air. Okay. No. I'm trying to go through and eliminate a lot of political takes on Facebook, and it's been a, quite the process. Wait, so are you just, like, deleting people that you're friends with? Yeah, if it's, like, a some kind of political deal. Anything political you're unfriending? Yes. you got to go with the, the birthday time? strategy. Wait, what? Use the birthday strategy. It tells you, like, on the top right whose birthday it is, and if you don't recognize the name or don't care that it's their birthday, remove them as a friend. Well, I don't do that because, like, some people are fine, but, like, like don't don't waste my time with the political stuff. Like, when's the last time you've gotten on Facebook and read somebody's political take and been like, you know, like, that's a great point. I'm going to change my viewpoint. <laughs> I'm perilously close to getting rid of Facebook altogether. Do you think, Borky, do you think I would miss it not for a second? Not for one second at all. I don't think you would either. I don't really post on Facebook. My wife occasionally puts pictures up, whatever. Um, and I saw something last week that, uh, that really kind of struck a nerve with me and put a snarky little reply on there, much to the chagrin of my wife. Um, and it's like I didn't even feel any better for doing that. It was just like, whatever. What, what are you doing? So I think that, I think getting rid of Facebook is in my future. Hey, Dad, are you a big Facebook guy? Um, I'm not as much as I used to be. I'm, I'm definitely a big Twitter guy. But uh, Facebook, I basically, I just want to keep up with my friends on there and see how they're doing. But if, if it went away, I don't know that I would, I would cry over it. Yeah, but I don't feel like there are any friends that I actually keep up with. Because of I have Facebook. some friends I keep up with. I have some friends I keep up with. Well, yeah, I mean, you guys like instant message back and forth, or no? But I just see how their family's doing, and occasionally I'll, I'll drop them a line. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, Cole Kubelik will join us about half an hour from right now. We'll talk some college football with him. I'll be interested to get Cole's take on um, 
Miami and Florida, the uh, the opening game of the season, that week zero game, and did did I feel like Borky? The last time we talked with Cole, there was something that we kind of left hanging in the balance and said we'll get back to that next time we talk. But I have no idea what it was. It was something involving Rich Rodriguez. I know okay. that much. Okay, we'll, but I uh, thought we'll you were going to say you wanted to get his take on Auburn's dramatically new or dramatically changed logo. Uh, yeah, it's not much of a change. What do they call it? A, a new visual identity system? Yeah. It's not a new logo? <laughs> they just widened it a little bit, but... Oh, man. We're in the wrong business. How much business. Do you think that cost? Oh, a few hundred thousand, probably. Yeah. Easily. Easily. Yeah. We're in the Fair wrong enough. business, guys. Learn, learn um, how to edit on Photoshop and make a few hundred grand by widening a logo. Ole Miss had a scrimmage on Saturday. Yesterday after practice, Matt Luke talked some about what they accomplished in their scrimmage, and uh, we will let you hear what he had to say. Uh, Some notes from around the NFL, including an injury to Andrew Luck that apparently nobody knew about, but his owner, I'm sorry, or governor. No, it's actually still an owner. The owner of the Colts, uh, Jim Ursay, kind of spilled the beans on an injury that... um, Maybe we're not intended to be spilled. So we'll get to that. Uh, Antonio Brown is crowdsourcing a helmet that is suitable for him. Hey, has anybody got a helmet that's less than 10 years old that I can uh, submit? And uh, they might just put on a freaking helmet and play ball. Yeah. And the thing is so the, the helmet he's looking for, he's looking for his exact model, uh, but within the 10-year window, and the company stopped making that exact model over 10 years ago. But there are a handful of extras that they made within the 10-year window for, it was like some insurance purpose or something like that. So he's looking for one of those, but generally he's probably not going to find them. So even though he reported to camp today, the charade still continues. I've got my high school football helmet on the uh, on the shelf in my office. I wonder if it's what he's looking for. Yeah, 10-year window, though, buddy. Yeah, that was more than 10 years ago. Um, it was? That, that I played high school football? Yes, slightly. I'm almost at 10 years. I'm at 10 I, years this fall. I had my 20-year reunion this summer. I'm at 24. Years old? Without playing football, high school football. Oh, 24 years. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I wasn't sure where you were going uh uh, with uh, with that. Best programs in college football since the turn of the century. In the new millennium, as Borky likes to say it. Sports Illustrated is throwing all kinds of top ten lists out as we get closer to the start of uh, the college football season. They rank the top ten programs of all time. Borky wants to put a little different spin on that. The new list of rich athletic departments in college sports is out. We'll see who's at the top of the list and check in on the schools for Mississippi where they rank. We've got 100 teams in 100 days. We are inside the top 20 and a whole lot more with you. Plus, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN will join us a little bit later this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you just getting started in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Tuesday afternoon with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. 
Ceasefire text line is open. 601-879-4395 is the number. 601-879-4395. Don't miss out on the latest deal from Ceasefire. Buy a top smartphone on Ceasefire's nationwide LTE network and get one free. That's right. Buy one of the top smartphones and get a second one free from Ceasefire. Only available for a limited time. Ceasefire customer inspired. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Um, no practice availability for Ole Miss today. That's been a Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing. Yesterday, though, Matt Luke met with the media, and Rippey, you were there. We got a chance to uh, hear some of what he had to say after the uh, the scrimmage over the weekend. I guess that was on uh, on Saturday afternoon or Saturday night. Or are they? By the way, are they still practicing outside? Are they still practicing outside? Yes. I didn't know if because of the heat they had decided to go inside or no. We were outside yesterday. Nice and warm. I guess there's only one way to get ready for the hellscape that is the Liberty Bowl Stadium in end of August. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. But I wonder if that's blown out of proportion a little bit. That's something, actually, I do want to ask Cole Kubelik about. Uh, we'll, we'll talk with him. The Dallas Cowboys... And I guess the NFL is a little bit different. They leave the heat and humidity of Texas, and they go to California to run their training camp. And it's because they feel like they can be more productive. So what's the balancing act or the line between productivity and getting tough in the heat? That's a good question. They do play indoors, though. I wonder how much that affects their decision-making. Who does? Dallas. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's true. Maybe so. That may uh, may have something to uh, do with it. All right, Matt Luke, who won the scrimmage on Saturday? It's just hard to tell. When, for me, nobody ever wins. Uh, but it's a uh, – because you watch the tape, you know, there's good and bad. Sometimes the offense will break a run and they'll have a bust over here. So the tape is never as good as it seems and never as bad as it seems, really. When you when you watch it, I just, uh, again, continue to play hard and be in the right spots and, you know, do a little thing right. We'll keep doing that. Oh, so we've reached that point of camp. <laughs> what, the voiceless Matt Luke? Yeah. All right. Um, that's, that's bad. Wow. Poor guy. It lasted about a week longer than he thought, though. Because I asked him before camp when he thought that would happen. He said Wednesday. And he got to, like, week the and a half in? Yeah. So yeah. pretty solid. When he was a position coach, that would have happened day one. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Um, good and bad from both sides of the ball. It's kind of what you would expect to hear after scrimmage number one. You made some good plays. Execution probably wasn't as good as you thought it would be. And usually you hear the defenses ahead, right? Um, I don't miss this case. I'm not necessarily sure. But, yeah, I guess most of the time. Traditionally, I yeah, should say. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I think. I mean, I think there's genuineness when you say there's hard. it's hard to tell because – Controlled environment, not really a true game, even though they tried to make it as most like it as possible. But, yeah, I don't know, good and bad. Hey, have you heard any, beyond what you've seen, kind of coach reviews of Jerry and Ely? As good as advertised, what they thought he would be, oh, my goodness, that guy's going to start on opening day while he's a Heisman Trophy contender or who? Wish we hadn't wasted a scholarship on him. He really should have gone and played baseball. Well, I mean, they're a week and a half in. 
So see, you always want to couch things and like no, try and bring balance to it. Well, do you really know what you have in a guy when the unless until he plays a game? Like if like I would feel like it, maybe you'd hear about it if he were like floundering and be like, okay, maybe this kid really isn't ready to play. Which that's not going to be the case. He's going to play and he's going to get carries. And so until you see him in a game like action because he didn't play a spring game, I guess you can tell some from the scrimmages. But like until you get the kid in a game atmosphere and get him in a game against other competition, can you really actually tell what you have in the guy? You might think. I don't know. There's some guys you can look at and go, they're different. And maybe he's not one of those. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess if it if it if it says anything at all, they're really high on Snoop Connor, and he's not. A, I I have a hard time saying. There's four of those guys that are going to get carries and probably going to play. It, a lot, a decent bit, and so saying one of them's ahead of one another, I don't feel comfortable saying. But they're high on Snoop Connor. I don't know if that tells you anything about Ely, who was here in the spring. He also, was right. Probably benefited more than anyone on the offensive side of the ball that didn't a quarterback from being here in the spring. Partly because Scotty Phillips didn't touch the football the entire spring. I think just getting play install and getting ahead, because Scotty Phillips is still going to be probably. I mean, he's still going to spearhead the the workload. Yeah. Uh, Matt Luke talked about uh, health on his team post scrimmage. Uh, we did. We had uh, you know a couple uh, bumps and bruises, nothing serious. Um, Kadir didn't practice with his hand, and I think we held Jalen Julius out with it with his ankle. And there was a, you know a few minor bumps and bruises, nothing serious. And there are a few other guys like that, Sam and some others. Sam was in green today. He got serious. Tweaked his knee. He'll be, he was out there. Did individual today. We have him out of team stuff. There may have been a few other concussions right now, but I think it's just typical, you know, practice 10 of camp. There's a lot of bumps and bruises, a few concussions, guys in the protocol. So you're dealing with Jason Pellerin and also Kincaid Dent, uh, we think, uh, that are going through the concussion protocol right now. And, you know, you want to talk about the difference. Hey, Dad, Nimi, you've been around for a while. Um, the, the difference in football today and football even five, six years ago? But certainly 10 or 15 years ago, those guys aren't missing practice for being a little bit banged up, having a little bit of a head injury. Yeah, no question about that. And on top of that, going back to what you were just saying, you're not taking practice inside either. You know, you, you definitely, 10 years ago, they're outside. They're, they're practicing. Yeah. In the heat. I mean, State has moved the first uh, half of practice uh, yesterday, and they're doing it again today in, indoors, just trying to avoid some of this heat. I think... I saw somebody from, I think it was from Old Mrs. 24-7, and then MSU's turf management guy tweeted yesterday, 153 degrees on the field. I mean, I don't know how that's even possible, but sure. I mean, they had, they had, the, they had the thermometer out there, so I'll believe them. But you're well, right. I, you know, Ten years ago, yeah, you, you, you're, you got your bell rung. Get back out there and play. Yeah, that, that's actually funny you say it. So the ground temperature is what they're talking about. You've got the artificial surface on some of the practice fields. and star. Are all of the fields in Starkville artificial, or do they have combination artificial and grass? The, the practice fields are all artificial. Okay. So Ole Miss is kind of split half and half. And I was standing with someone who had one of these kind of handheld thermometers where you, you like directionally shoot it yeah. or point it at, at a specific spot and then get a, a temperature reading. And we were standing right on the edge between the turf and the grass. And the outdoor air temperature that day was like 84. This was a morning practice, so it had not gotten where it was really cooking. The turf was 123 degrees, and then the grass was 30 degrees cooler. 
So, you know, still 90-something, you know, not closing in on 100, 100 degrees. But there was a 30-degree difference in the ground temperature between the artificial playing surface with those rubber pellets in it and grass on dirt. So, for what that's worth. Matt Luke also talked uh, a little about tackling with this team. Same. You know, I think, again, there were flashes. You know, Lakia flashed. He made several tackles. There were guys, you know, some guys breaking on the ball, had a chance to make some picks, you know, had a chance to do some things. But, but again, inconsistent. Gave up a, a couple of big plays. You know, we just got to be consistent. Um, again, I was, I was pleased with the scrimmage overall. Just want to see guys continue to play really, really hard. You know, you know, toward the end of the scrimmage, they started getting a little bit tired as they get in shape. You just want to see them finish. You know that Matt Corral is going to be the starting quarterback, but there is a battle raging on for the backup quarterback spot for Ole Miss. How did that go in the scrimmage? Yeah, I thought, I thought they were good. I thought uh, um, we put John Rice in a live jersey, and that changed things for him. It let him use some legs. He got out of the pocket, scored a touchdown on the perimeter, so that was good to see. Uh, we had Grant and Matt in white, so you didn't see that as much, but uh, we was pleased with those three guys for sure. Rippy, does that say to you that not shocking, obviously, that Matt Corral would be in a non-contact jersey? But does that say to you that right now Grant Tisdale maybe has the lead in the backup spot at quarterback? Uh, maybe because he was here in spring and John Rice Plumley wasn't. But they also probably wanted to see what John Rice Plumley did against um, against like live contact and kind of let him loose a little bit because you didn't see him at all in the spring game. So yeah, be like. On August, like if crowd tweaks a knee on August 31st, does Tisdale maybe have the edge? Sure. Six, you know, three, four, five games in, that could probably change. Yeah. Um, a couple more cuts. We may get to you a little bit later as Matt Luke talks some about the, uh, the offensive line. But coming up next, Cole Kubelik joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. More coming up with you at Sports Talk Mississippi. And the Renaissance Bank Studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Farm Bureau phone line. That's where all guests appear on Sports Talk Mississippi. Right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team is Cole Kublik, college football analyst with ESPN, the SEC Network, co-host of Three Man Front on Jocks in Birmingham, and uh, most of the time a good guy. What's up, Cole? Most of the time. Well, I mean, you have your moments, but don't we all? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't like to think that I have moments that make me a bad guy. Are you really going to be upset with me right out of the gate before I even ask you a question? That would make me a bad guy if I was upset with you. So. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, we have talked in pretty great detail in the past about you... Uh, your experience when you were at Auburn going through two-a-days and the need to tackle to to get prepared for a season. So I, I don't want to necessarily rehash that, but I am curious. Everybody's got great indoor facilities right now. We're going through this incredible heat wave in the South after a relatively mild summer. What's the balance between taking your team inside where you got a climate-controlled setup to really get good work in Versus being outside when you got a heat index of 110 or 115 to get a team tougher and ready for the season. Well, I think part of that depends on where you play your opening game, maybe even your first few games. I think part of that depends on 
how you really feel about the conditioning of your football team? Do you feel like it's where it needs to be? Um, do you question the toughness of your football team? I think all those things come in um, come into the equation, but I think the reality is if you want to practice the way that you need to practice, it's probably going to be safer on your players to do it inside or at least do a large portion of it inside. And if you can do more by being inside, then I think most coaches will probably select that option. Say, hey, if we, if we get out of 108 heat index and that allows us to do more ones versus ones in our team period or have longer inside drill or have extra conditioning, things of that nature, more seven-on-seven, then they would probably choose to go inside if it means that they get to work more because there's going to be some folks on training staff that are trying to shut down portions of practice because of what's happening with that heat. You feel like you've kind of evolved in your opinion on that over time? Uh, Evolved. I don't know. I mean, am I more educated? Do I feel like common sense prevails a little bit more? Yeah, and I think that's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think the discussion about the temperature and the discussion about the need to hit and practice in a physical manner to prepare your body for what's coming are two different discussions altogether. Okay, two completely different discussions. Now, the, I I don't feel like coaches are allowed to have their players in pads going full contact enough to properly acclimate their bodies for what a Power 5 college football season is going to be like. So take that and table it and then bring the heat discussion in. I think that's a little bit of a different discussion. And I'm, I'm not a guy that says, let's find the hottest portion of the day and let's go practice. Or let's make this as difficult and miserable on everybody as humanly possible because it's hot and just push them, push them, push them, push them, push them. That's not intelligent. So I do think they're kind of two different discussions. I don't know if this happened when when you were at Auburn or not. I'm curious how difficult, from your perspective, it is for a true freshman running back to come in, pick up a system, pick up blocking schemes, understand all that is required of a running back to to play at a high level and be able to be effective in, in that first year. Well, protection's a big part of it, and I think that's what we hear about more times than not as to why younger guys can't get more playing time in the back is knowing who to pick up, knowing when to pick them up, knowing what route to run, option routes, how long to stay in in protection. And then let's just be honest, the physical aspect of protecting, how many great high school running backs are asked to block blitzing linebackers or pick up defensive ends and pass protection 10, 15 times a game? Hell, five times a game. Probably not very many. So I think fundamentally, technically, it's a little bit foreign to a lot of those guys. But you're going to have to do it. I don't care if you're Leonard Fournette. I don't care if you're Marshall Falk. Whether you're Scotty Phillips or whether you're Adrian Peterson, you're going to have to protect a little bit in college. It's just something that's going to have to be done because especially now, as multiple and versatile as a lot of these uh, offenses are and as many plays that are tagged to be runs or passes, you, you've got to be somebody who can get in there and help in protection. So I think the fundamental part of it is something that does not come naturally to a lot of guys because they haven't been working it and doing it. And then I think there's a physical part of it, too, that they're just not used to. And not saying they can't handle physicality, but just their bodies aren't used to absorbing hits that way. And that, that kind of goes back to relying on your technique and your fundamentals. And, and then I think, too, just 
you, you got you got guys that it gets a little bit confusing. It's not confusing to know what 28 is, to know that that's outside zone, or to know that 23 is inside zone to the left, or 27 is counter to the left. I mean, it's run plays are easy to remember, and your steps in run plays are usually pretty simple. Now you start talking about your eyes going from one linebacker to a safety to a corner, or what happens if a protection breaks down and there's a game and there's a twist and the offensive lineman picks up the wrong guy. Do you go pick up the defensive tackle that was turned loose by the guard when he's picking up the linebacker that you're supposed to pick up? I mean, you're, you got to process that information quickly. And sure. a lot of the times guys haven't had enough reps when they're young to see that and understand that <laughs> and to have that just be something that they can react to and be reactionary when they're in protection. And it gets a little bit confusing. Well, and I was asking that question because of Jerrion Ely at, at Ole Miss. Obviously, he was very highly recruited, has chosen to do the college football, college baseball route. And I guess I'm curious, given the study that you've put into Rich Rodriguez's offense through the years, is is this an offense where there's a bigger load of responsibility on a young running back or a running back period beyond just carrying the football than maybe in Phil Longo's offense last year? Uh, probably, yeah, because I think you, you – I don't know if you'll have as many four and five wide receiver sets, number one. Number two, uh, you'll probably see more play action, which the back is usually going to stay in a protection and play action plays. So I think those mm-hmm. two things alone would allow me to believe that the Ole Miss running backs will be asked to protect a little bit more than they did last year. When you look at this matchup between Ole Miss and Memphis in Week 1, and I think it's a pretty good matchup for for a Week 1 opening game. Memphis bad defensively a year ago, but Mike Norvell has got a great reputation now uh, with what he does offensively. His offenses have been productive year in, year out. Um, how, how do you kind of break that game down? Well, the first thing that sticks out is physicality. And I think if there's a part of the Memphis football team that people don't realize, don't know, and and probably just can't really allow themselves to accept, it's that they are a really physical team. They have a good offensive line. They had 2,000-yard rushers last year, and they're going to implement a run-south-north game and try to push you around. That's that's where their offense is going to start. So I think you're going to have to match up with that physicality early on, and you're going to have to prove to them that they're going to have to find other ways to beat you offensively. Now, we know that Ole Miss has got some talent up front, and you know, guys along that front seven like Mosinogo and Benito Jones and Kadir Shepard are, are going to have to find a way to slow that run game down early on. If they don't, it could be a long day. But the thing that would stick out to me more than anything else and the place that I think Ole Miss is going to have to show up for that game is physically at the line of scrimmage, especially on defense. If that defense finds themselves out of position and that defense physically does not show up, Memphis will win that football game. That, to me, is absolutely the key for Ole Miss being able to get a win week one. Quick thought on Florida and Miami. Um, Miami names a starter yesterday. It is not Tate Martell. Um, Has Miami got a puncher's chance in this game against Florida? Yes because they have a good front seven led by Shaq Quarterman, and that defensive line can be active, can be problematic, and I don't really know what to expect from the Florida offensive line just yet. Uh, we know Brett Heggie will be there. We know they got their center back, but after that, it's a crapshoot, and I hadn't seen them, and I don't know about them, so it's tough for me to really develop an opinion of what they're going to be like, what they're going to look like, how they're going to play now. 
from a skill perspective, you know, I think Florida has a slight advantage. Um, obviously, we've seen that the quarterback situation is going to be a little bit different than a lot of people thought it's going to be. But I've been telling people about Jeremy Williams all off season, and nobody's been listening to me. But I think Manny Diaz understands what he needs out of his quarterback, and I think Dan Enos understands what kind of a quarterback is best suited to manage his offense, and and that's why he won the job. Now, on the flip side of that, I'm not overly confident in Miami's offensive line either, and you got a younger quarterback against a D coordinator that loves to bring pressure. That would obviously be advantage Florida. So I would say you could probably dumb it down to whichever offensive line holds up the best and allows their offense the most time to operate probably wins that football game. I mean, if you take out turnovers and things of that nature, uh, I think the offensive line that that performs best would would give that team a big advantage in finding a way to win that game. Cole Kubelik, co-host of Three Man Front on Jocks in Birmingham, college football analyst with ESPN and the SEC Network, and an all-around good guy. Mm. Thanks, Cole. Hoping next time I can move into that classification of just good person instead of most of the time good person. So I'm going to do my best the next couple of weeks, month, whatever it is, until we talk again to try and be a better person on a regular basis. I look, I look forward to that. I will anxiously be following your social media accounts to uh, make my determination. Talk to you soon, bud. Well, that's Thanks. Not, that's not a place for nice people, so don't go there. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, boy. On the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Anything Cole said, uh, whether it was talking about Ole Miss, running back protections, the Miami-Florida matchup that that jumped out to any of you guys? Anything stand out? Aside from him being the most studied college football person maybe out there, you can just name a random team, ask him about it, and he can tell you about guys they have up front or uh, apparently he he knew who was going to win the quarterback battle weeks ago. It's just incredible. But... um, Ole Miss using more play action, and this is something that they've brought up in camp a lot and we've talked on this show, multi-back sets, using a tight end, because if they're going to have offensive line issues, at least a lack of experience in depth, the first five may be pretty good. We'll have to see. That's interesting to me, because if they can do that and still be effective, then great. And it sounds like they have the bodies, they have the running back rotation to do it, but if they can protect and if they can effectively use a tight end and roll the quarterback out and do things like that to alleviate pressure on the offensive line, they have the bodies and the horses to be pretty good offensively. They just now have a system and a play caller that will be able to um, take some pressure off of the offensive line, so even if they aren't great they can still do some things offensively so this fear about the offensive line being a disaster can somewhat be alleviated if done correctly yeah um i agree with you on the the studied thing Uh, cole is on radio and on television a lot he he does uh, obviously his show with jocks and does a bunch with the sec network Radio, or excuse me, the SEC radio channel, and some Sirius XM stuff, and he just studies constantly. Uh, and I really appreciate somebody that uh, can can put that amount of work 
into uh, into their craft. He's he's really grinded to uh, to get to the point where he is um, right now. Borky, you, you've thrown this at me a couple of days in a row. We missed it yesterday. There is a thirty for thirty coming out on Dennis Rodman on the worm. Uh, story from Awful announcing next year ESPN will be unveiling The Last Dance, a massive multi-part 30-for-30 30 30 series on the Chicago Bulls dynasty. It's not possible to tell the complete story of the 90s Bulls without mentioning Dennis Rodman, but it's equally, equally obvious that Rodman material could probably fill more than one documentary on its own. Are you interested in this? Absolutely. So my dad told me about Dennis Rodman. I remember as a kid knowing him as the crazy hair guy because Jordan's second run with the Bulls is when I was just old enough to to know what sports were and, and remember those teams and those games. Not very well because I was six and seven years old, but I remember Rodman because he had the crazy hair. Yeah, he, he certainly did have... Uh, crazy hair. And the thing is, Rodman as a Chicago Bull was kind of the second act of his NBA career. Hey, Dad, he, he became the player that he was as a Detroit Piston before he ever made that transition to Chicago and was, was part of that dynasty and uh, was such an integral part of what they did, especially on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah, I mean... When you look at him, his career, you know Detroit was really, really good. But he was just a part of that. You know, he was just a piece. Uh, you know, he obviously wasn't the star. You know, and the, the the antics you got to know him for they weren't that they weren't that prevalent in Detroit. It's when he went to San Antonio that not only did he become you know Dennis Rodman, but he became you know known as Hey, this guy's the best defensive player in the league. And uh, I can remember very clearly, you know, the Bulls were already good when they got Dennis Rodman, and uh, it became. Yeah. I remember when they signed him, and it was just like, what's? It was sort of similar to when Durant went to uh, Golden State, although different circumstances, obviously. But it was sort of a, why are we playing this season? There's no chance the Bulls don't win, and yeah. that was the case. Uh, Rash Markazi at uh, the LA Times said that the Rodman Thirty for Thirty is coming on September the 10th, and um, so we'll be watching out for that. Be watching out for that. Hey, as we wrap up our number one, I, I want to mention this to you as kind of a, a public service. The Mississippi Bureau of Investigation has issued an endangered slash missing child alert for Sarah Perry. She's 16 years old and is from Oxford, was last seen uh, around 9 o'clock this morning in the Oxford High School area in Lafayette County, uh, but has not been heard from since. If you have any information whatsoever about her whereabouts, please call the Oxford Police Department. Uh, certainly you can Google that number. I'll give it to you now at 662-232-2400. Absolutely worst nightmare for parents. Uh, really scary situation. And so if you have any information uh, regarding the whereabouts of Sarah Perry, a 16-year-old uh, from Oxford, uh, MBI has issued a an endangered missing child alert. Please call the Oxford Police Department with any info you may have, 662-232-2400. More with you coming up, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio on this Tuesday. We'll be right back. Quick first hour with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, just after 4 o'clock now. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us. 
Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you're thinking about a piece of recreational property, or maybe you've already found the spot that uh, you're ready to buy, it's going to be your own place to hunt or fish or just hang out, Mississippi Land Bank can help you with the financing. They've been financing and refinancing land and all that goes along with it for over 100 years. They are in North Mississippi. Their corporate headquarters is in Senatobia. They've got branch offices all across the northern part of the state, and uh, they can help you turn the dream of owning land into a reality. That's why we say that they know the lay of the land. Check out their website, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank. We continue the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. This day is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. Today for team number 18 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days, we go to the West Coast, well, almost to the West Coast, the Pac-12, the Utah Utes. Yeah, it gets a little bit better, right, after you get into it a little bit, kind of picks up the pace. Utah 9-5 last year. Kyle Whittingham is going into his 15th season as the head coach at Utah. He played linebacker at BYU, played in the USFL, spent a little bit of time in the NFL with the Los Angeles Rams. This is his only head coaching job. He followed Urban Meyer at Utah and has been there ever since and has done a really good job. Recent years... Last year, nine and five, seven and six. The year before that, nine and four in 2016, ten and three in 2015. 2014 team went nine and four. Utah lost in the Holiday Bowl last year to uh, to pretty good Northwestern team. Northwestern team that won the uh, Big Ten West, 31 to 20. When it was all said and done, so Utah picked by the Pac-12 media to win the Pac-12 South, and that's the side of the conference that's got Southern Cal in it. It's got Arizona State, UCLA, Arizona, and Colorado. So let's just start there for a second. When you guys think of Utah football, what do you think of? Hey, Dad, what, what, what jumps out to you about Utah when you think of the Utes? I always think about that undefeated season they had with Urban Meyer. Uh, they were like the first you know, BCS buster, the first group of five team uh, to make it into the uh, the, old, the old BCS bowls. Borky? The guy that dropped the football before he entered the end zone and started to trend. For, do you remember that? So they no. were playing Oregon. Long yeah, touchdown pass. Kalen Clay is his name. I just Googled it. He's on his way to the end zone, and in celebration, you know how they like they get all swagged out and like drop the ball behind him? Well, he did Swagged it. Out. He, he yeah. did it before he crossed the goal line, and okay. Oregon recovered the, the fumble because that's what it was. And like for the next three weeks, that kept happening in the NFL and in college. People would drop the ball before they crossed the goal line. He started that trend. So for for some reason, anytime Utah's brought up, I remember Kalen Clay dropping the ball at like the one and a half yard line 
as he was on his way into the end zone in celebration. Former quarterback Brian Johnson was on Dan Mullen's staff at Mississippi State, with, uh, went with him to Florida. He's the quarterback's coach at, uh, at Florida. He's the number 2 all-time passer at, uh, at Utah and played there 04-05 and then sat out 06 and then played 07-08. Um, threw for almost 8,000 yards in his time there. Utah returns Zach Moss who was a 1,000-yard rusher a season ago with 11 touchdowns. They return their top two quarterbacks from a year ago. Tyler Huntley will be the starter. The senior uh, completed 64% of his passes, uh, almost 1,800 yards, 12 touchdowns, 6 picks. The backup, Jason Shelley, uh, completed 58% of his passes with 5 touchdowns and and 6 interceptions. The top five receivers return uh, from a year ago. Now, they've got some... Some dudes to replace on the defensive side of the ball. It's uh, it's a handful when you have to uh, replace 230 tackles by two guys. Cody Barton had 116 tackles, and uh, Chase Hansen had 114. So seven retard, uh, seven starters return on the defensive side. Seven starters return on the offensive side. Rippy, are you bullish? On Utah this year in the uh, the Pac-12 South, um, I liked your prediction that they could potentially win the their division and surprise people. Southern Cal, Arizona State announced today that they're going to start a uh, a true freshman year two for Chip Kelly at UCLA, year two for Kevin Sumlin at Arizona, and then Colorado in kind of a rebuilding mode right now. Mel Tucker. Uh, coming into his first season as the head coach. I just think there are a lot of question marks in that division. And uh, there was an article yesterday that I read you know, talking about the fact that not only Clay Hilton, but Lynn Swan, the athletics director at Southern Cal, kind of their futures are both hanging in the balance this year. I think Utah's a pretty, uh, pretty interesting football team. They feel like they're always well-coached, and they're tough, and they're hard to deal with. They're, they're the team that you, if you're playing them out of conference, you don't want to see them. They always seem to get up. For, and I always think about the. That's another thing I think about with Utah is how easily they handled Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, so I think that was Saban's second year. Brian Johnson, I think, was a quarterback on that team. Not a thing. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I mean, they just they just beat them up and down the field. Three non-conference games to start the year for uh, Utah. They open with the Holy War at BYU on Thursday night, August 29th. That is a good football game to start the season off. I think Utah's a lot better than BYU is, but that's a big-time rivalry game. Then they've got Northern Illinois and Idaho State before they jump into conference play, and their first conference game on the road in Los Angeles against Southern Cal on a Friday night. Um, so they don't exactly ease into, uh, ease into conference play. They've got uh, five home Pac-12 games this year, Washington State, Arizona State, Cal, UCLA and Colorado, their road trips are to Arizona, Washington, Oregon State, and Southern Cal in the league. So Utah is team number 18 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Mr. Haydad, your favorite part of this exercise has been the famous alums from the schools that we've looked at. Yeah. Who um, who does Utah submit? First off, Utah has like a lot of alums that created really cool stuff. You just wouldn't know their names. Like Nolan Bushnell, he established the binoculars. Guy? And ch- 
Do what now? Binoculars? I don't know if he did that. He established Atari and Chuck E. Cheese, though. Created okay. Adobe that we all use. He went there. Robert Jarvik, he created the artificial heart. He went to Utah. But we're going to go with Jay. He created the, uh, the hotel Who did chain. you say? Jay Willard Marriott. And what did he create? The hotel chain, Marriott. Oh, gotcha. Uh, we're Marriott, Ro- also, uh, also more colloquially known as Marriott. But they actually want you to pronounce it Marriott. Who does? The Marriotts. It's supposed to be pronounced like Chariot. How do you know that? I saw it on Twitter because a lot of sports writers who live and die by that were like, oh, my God, I've been saying it wrong all this time. I had to. Yeah, I'm going to stick with Marriott. You can. You call Rove. I think we're losing Haydad, aren't we? Borky, is that just me or is, that, is he in and out? In and out, but he just said Carl Rove. Carl Rove. You're going to skip right over Stephen Covey? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? He goes with that thing, and people might not know who he is, but they know that book. Also, yeah. of note, you mentioned that Kyle Whittingham played at BYU. Yes. Lavelle Edwards, legendary BYU coach, went to. Uh, I think what you were saying was that Lavelle Edwards went to uh, Utah. How about the fact that E. Gordon Gee is a Utah alum? Among other places, Columbia Law School, University of Utah, the teacher's college there, undergrad at Columbia University. This is the guy that used to be the uh, the president at Vanderbilt and at Ohio State. He's currently the uh, president at West Virginia. He's a big bow tie guy. Big bow tie guy. I would not have pegged him as a Utah alum. Talk about culture shock going from Columbia University with uh, its leanings in New York City to the University of Utah and then back to Columbia for law school. Fair enough. Utah team number 18 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. More coming up with you. C Spire text line is open. Some NFL stories when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. How about this from the NFL story mill? Andrew Luck has not been participating in Colts camp. Talked about that some last week and thought that it might present more opportunities for Chad Kelly, which turned out to be the case in the Colts' first preseason game. And apparently Luck's injury is worse than we've been led to believe. And we know that now thanks to the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, uh, Jim Ursay. Andrew Luck has been out of practice with what the team has described as a calf injury, but Jim Ursay has chimed in with a different diagnosis. He told SiriusXM NFL Radio that Luck is dealing with an issue to a small little bone. The only doctor around here is Rippy, I suppose, but I think we can all agree that the calf is a muscle, not a bone. And that Ursay's comment suggests that Luck actually has multiple injuries. The calf injury that the team had previously disclosed and a bone injury 
that had not been reported until Ursay actually mentioned it. Ursay did not specify what part of the body the little bone injury is in. He did say, I really feel very confident that he's going to find his way through this thing. But then again, Ursay was confident that Luck would not miss any regular season games after his 2017 shoulder injury, and he ended up missing the entire year. Important information from Jim Ursay or nothing to see here? Have we all forgotten that Jim Ursay is a crazy person? I mean, he might just—he might just not know what he's talking about here. He might, he might think that the calf and the bone are the same, the calf muscle and the bone yes, are the same thing. It's very possible with this guy. He's—he's he's a nutball. No, I'm not. I mean, we'll see what happens. He, and he may be telling the truth, but my goodness, I'm not going to sit there and you know expect Jim Ursay to know anything. Hmm. Does own the team though? He, yeah, I was about to say the the counter to that would be he is the one that signs the paychecks. That doesn't mean he's not a crazy person. Yeah, but you would think that he would know what the actual injury is to his starting face of the franchise quarterback. Well, you say that, but then you just said that he said, "Oh, he's not going to miss any time," and then he missed the whole season. Well, yeah, but I mean that would be like okay, he was misleading us to think oh nothing to see here, but when he slips up and goes, oh, yeah, he's got a bone injury. That feels just, different to me. I, I just, I don't, Jim Arce is one of those people who's sort of like Mike Tyson. You can just say anything, and I, I'll I'll shake it off. But either way, I mean, even if he's mistaken, here we go. I mean, it's August 13th. I know the season is still a few weeks away, but Andrew Luck has still yet to practice. And as good as he is and as much as I like him, at what point do we start giving him the injury-prone label? I mean, he only had seven starts in 2015, missed an entire season with a shoulder injury. Uh, what did he have, a spleen rupture or something like that in 2015? I mean, the guy is always, there's always something wrong with him. Part of that is because he was done no favors, what, for three years, had the worst offensive line in football or one of the worst offensive lines in football. But here we go, yet again, Andrew Luck injured. Hey, I hate it. But I can't help but shake the feeling that one day, if we continue on this path, we're going to look back and look at him like he was the best that never was because he can't stay on the field and can't stay healthy. Hmm. We'll see. You, you, you know this the, the question this is leading me to, don't you? Will yeah. Chad Kelly get a start? Yeah, I mean, that's where I was headed with that. If Andrew Luck ends up missing a significant period of time in the regular season, does Chad Kelly play his way into a start this year for the Indianapolis Colts? It feels like they don't want him to. It feels like they really, really, really want Jacoby Brissett to be a guy, but... Who's more Who's talented? Have playing quarterback for you? Kobe, uh, Jacoby Brissett or Chad Kelly? Do you want to win the game, or do you want to feel good about yourself while watching the team play? Hey, Dad, which of those two would you rather have be your starter? Brissett has played and won games in the NFL, but I think Chad Kelly is more talented. You got a vote here, Rippy? Um, I mean, for personal interest, I think it'd be more interesting to see Kelly. Here's Brissett. So in 17, that's the year that Luck missed. He uh, started 15 of their 16 games, 58% uh, completions, 3,100 yards, 6.6 yards per attempt, which is really low for an NFL quarterback, 13 touchdowns to 7 picks. Also rushed for 260, 
for whatever that's worth. Thirteen to you. touchdowns and fifteen starts. That's very pedestrian. Yeah. Saw very limited action with New England in sixteen. Didn't do anything of note. So he has that one year in seventeen where he and the team was awful, which doesn't help. But he was just pedestrian. I was going to say that about the Colts too. Colts in seventeen sucked. Yeah. Um, from Indianapolis to Oakland, status of Raiders wide receiver Antonio Brown has been maybe the biggest question of the NFL preseason. He has missed time because of frostbitten feet due to a cryotherapy session in France gone wrong. I mean, write that headline before this actually happened and see if people laugh you off the planet. And because he was fighting the league to get permission to wear an illegal helmet. Again, (laughs) write that headline if it's not actually true. Uh, Asked earlier today if Antonio Brown will play week one. John Gruden answered, oh, yeah, yep. Brown told reporters he's not sure when his feet will be healthy enough for him to practice, but he sounded optimistic about his ability to return. And he is uh, crowdsourcing a, a discontinued helmet that might comply with the uh, standards set forth by the NFL. I mean, those perfect Raider. Absolutely. And it's almost like it's more okay that he does this in Oakland because it's almost not unprecedented. Like, he can act like a clown, but it's Oakland. They all act like clowns. You know, what's the difference if they just have another one? It's a circus, mm-hmm. and he fits right in. Uh, you mentioned the headlines, though. If The Onion, this time last year, said Antonio Brown will not like will quit football if not allowed to use 12-year-old helmet, that would have made sense. Antonio Brown sidelined due to fro- uh, frostbitten feet, and he lives in Miami. That, that's Onion stuff. You cannot make this up. Frostbitten feet due to a cryotherapy session <laughs> gone wrong in France. <laughs> that's a Mad Lib or an Onion headline. Whatever you want to call it, that's just like fill in the blanks and get the most ridiculous story you can come up with. You hear about it all the time. Wait, no. No, you don't. Not at all. <laughs> Cam Newton seems to be saying the right things in Panthers training camp. Uh, Peter King asked him if you worry about whether or not you'll have the fastball that you had in, let's say, 2016. Cam Newton responded saying, this is what I know. You can look back at any type of player. You can look back at any type of sport. And as a player grows, your game has to change. I remember reading and seeing a lot of clips about Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Brett Favre, even Peyton Manning to a degree. When you get old, you have to change certain things. It kind of keeps you young. I actually look forward to it. I embrace this whole process because it's made me feel like a rookie again. Learning certain things, learning new mechanics, focusing on the little nuances of playing a quarterback position and trying to master it. So at this point in my career, it's not about velocity. It's not about throwing a ball 70 yards. It's about efficient football that's going to win football games. That strikes me 
as one of the more level-headed things that has ever come out of Cam Newton's mouth. I'm scared of the Panthers this year as a Saints guy. I think they could be really good offensively if he's healthy. They're good at wide receiver. They're good at running back. They're good up front. They could be like a, a not a Super Bowl contender. I'm not that crazy, but that could be a team that competes for the NFC South. Do you think Cam Newton is cold natured? Just a really weird dude. Kind of seems like he's out there on an island of one. Do you know why I'm asking that question? I mean, they're in Charlotte, North Carolina for training camp, and every time you see video of Cam Newton getting loose in practice, it looks like he has nine layers of clothes on. Long sleeve shirts, hoodies on top of that. Sometimes that's underneath his pads. So he's got tights and then sweatpants and then football pants on top of him. He's a he's a weird guy. But my gracious, is he talented. I, I maintain that he's one of the two most dynamic college football players that I have ever seen on a football field. Saw him three times in his one year at Auburn. I saw him play in Starkville. I saw him play against Ole Miss. And then I saw him in the SEC championship game, and he was unbelievable. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Hey, Dad, any news out of Starkville as it relates to football since we wrapped things up at 6 o'clock yesterday? No, we weren't able to go to practice uh, as they moved indoors, although today they're telling us they're going to let us indoors, so I'm, I'm excited to do that. But uh, Especially really excited out. because there's uh, a roof and air conditioning, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, that said, tomorrow we get to talk to some assistant coaches, including quarterbacks coach Andrew Briner. So obviously I want to talk to him, pick his brain, and get his ideas of what's going on uh, with the quarterback competition. So be sure you're looking for that on Twitter at Sports Talk Miss and uh, up on supertalk.fm afterwards. There you go. Uh, that is coming up tomorrow. Hey, Dad, did, or excuse me, uh, Borky, did you say today is National Left-Handers Day? Yeah, that's Southpaw Day? Yeah, that's what my wife told me anyway, because I'm technically a lefty. But I, like I'm ambidextrous, but the dumb kind. Uh, because I write with my left hand, I eat and talk on the phone with my left hand, but I can't do anything else with my left hand. And I can't do anything I mentioned with my right hand, so I can't write with my right hand at all. So I use both, but I can't use them both for the same thing. So, like, I don't know what you call that, but it's just the dumb version of ambidextrous. Hmm. Okay. So you couldn't hit left-handed and you weren't a left-handed pitcher. Right. I I don't do anything other than write lefty, really. Doesn't make any sense. My dad tried to force it, but nope. Yeah, I do everything left-handed. Literally everything. Yeah, play golf. Right. Type. Fair enough. Yep, all of those things. Have you found it to be a detriment in life? Um, I have handwriting that's not legible. Same That's not a left-handed thing, though. Mine is illegible. Yeah. Um, I don't think it helps when it's left-handed. Never, never much of a uh, pitching prospect. 
No, not at all. I did play the second base as a little eager left-handed. Ooh. That didn't make a ton of sense, does it? No. Did they have a good first baseman? That's why they didn't stick you at first base or put you in the outfield? Were you serviceable as a left-handed second baseman? Yeah, I was pretty serviceable. Are you telling me I look like a first baseman? No, you're not, but it makes a whole lot more sense to put a lefty at first base than at second base. I think they would sacrifice the sense of that just by like looking at me. Um, I do have a weird fact. Uh, the entire Reds beat writing segment was left-handed. They have not had a right-handed beat reporter cover the team since 2005. All seven of them. What? I swear. And I joined, like, yeah. The athletic guy, the two newspaper guys, my boss... And the two former, like, that had left before him. Is there, like, a questionnaire when you apply for the internship as to whether or not you're right-handed or left-handed? Uh, no, but I didn't have to lie if there was. Yeah. So uh, probably just look enough. at the handwriting. Is there, um, is there any correlation between, like, left-brain, right-brain, and left-handed, right-handed? I mean, are you more creative or more analytical if you're left-handed than... That can't be which, true. I don't know which side of the brain does what. Isn't left brain the creative side? I believe that is correct. I think that's right. You want to be a part of the conversation this afternoon, you can on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395 at C Spire. They're all about uh, making happier experiences for you. That's why they've got one-hour phone repair Cracked screens, busted speakers, system crashes, you name it. They've seen it all and fixed it all. Any phone, any carrier that is at C Spire. And they've got 20 locations across the state, from Oxford all the way to Gulfport with uh, phone repair centers. And then another eight locations uh, in some of those uh, spots where they can fix your Mac as well. That includes stores in Oxford, Starkville, Hattiesburg, Gulfport, Clinton, Madison, D'Iberville, and Laurel. So uh, if you need help with your Mac, if it's not running the way that it's supposed to, or something breaks on it, take it to uh, one of those C Spire certified repair locations and get it fixed. The number for the C Spire text line is 601-879-4393. Nine five. Borky, how did the uh, the hot dog Twitter poll finish yesterday? It was overwhelming in favor of people that wouldn't or that don't do it. And I guess I fall into that category, but it's not like I'm. So it was sixty eight thirty two in favor of no. But like I don't do that myself. But if somebody offered me one, or like I was in the mood for a hot dog, I wouldn't turn up my nose at a gas station one. I've eaten worse things from a gas station or just in general in life than a hot dog on a roller. Okay. It's the worst thing you've ever eaten. Oh, gosh. that's Dog a... food? <laughs> no, no. Oh, man. Um, oh, man. You've eaten something worse than dog food? Yeah, there was a day in college at the fraternity house where... Oh, God. Our, our, our shipment... I, something got held up, and there, was a, there was a Friday... Ship- shipment... I think everybody listening has a brain and knows that that's what I said. Um, that didn't get like it didn't come in on Friday, so they just had to like go down into the back of the fridge and stuff and put things together. 
and I was sick for seven straight days after that, yeah, that would be worse. It was just a concoction of stuff that didn't make sense, like just in one uh, foil pan that they just set out for us. And it was like as we were getting ready to go home for break and stuff, so there was maybe ten guys that came to the house all day long, and they just put it all together. It was like this mystery meat and like a gravy and just like leftover greens and stuff just put in this pan set out for us, and it sat there all day. And I didn't have any money, so I ate it, and it got me really sick. Ceasefire text line, worst thing you've ever eaten. George in West Point, I ate rat soup when I was in South Vietnam in 1972. Marty in Oxford, gas station sushi at 7 a.m. Not good. John in Corinth, a salmon burger, or salmon if you prefer. Uh, we have this from Linda and Fulton. Left-handed people are the only ones in their right mind. Uh, I caught the first half of a game right-handed and then pitched the last three innings left-handed, and it blew the opposing catcher's mind when I came to bat late in the game. That was when he was 11 or uh, 12 years old. Uh, Hal from Boyle says, I shoot a gun right-handed and bow hunt left-handed. I am right-handed in everything, but I am... Right eye dominant. What I, I I have trouble winking my left eye. I can wink my right eye no problem. So I shoot left handed. If uh, that means anything, um, Ethan in Guntown accidentally ate a ladybug one time. Uh, Richard and Wiggins fried squirrel heads. Mm. I've had squirrel. Yes, but not a fried head, probably. Not a fried head, no. Uh, Josh in Tupelo, in Japan, I ate cow intestines. Delicious. Mm. Uh, John in Greenwood, goat rice, uh, goat over rice in Afghanistan. Didn't know it was goat before eating it. He says, hashtag language barrier. Man, I've had it doesn't goat. strike me as terrible, though, does it? Yeah. They sell goat at, like, Mexican restaurants and stuff. Yeah, I've had what? goat that they cook the, the same way that you do a whole hog. Uh, yeah. One, one night in college, we went to Moon Lake, which is outside of Clarksdale. Yeah. I had, had a buddy whose family had Great a house on, on Moon Lake, and it was really good. It, I mean, it pulled off just like pulled pork. Uh, here's one for canned hog brains. Oh, why? It's disgusting. Mm. Why? Should have had you doing that instead of the dog food. How did you end up in prison? Uh, Greg in Nettleton says he has, he says yellow snow is the worst. Uh, here's one for testicle ceviche. Mmm. Canned smoked oysters. Pig brains and scrambled eggs. George says, I thought rat soup was bad. These people are way worse. Uh, this guy says he's eating stork and it was not great. It's well played, isn't it? Uh, Chocolate-covered crickets. Are they really that bad? People eat them. Chocolate, crunchy, little protein. Didn't your daughter eat chocolate-covered crickets in New Orleans? She had a chocolate chirp cookie. Yeah, it was a chocolate chip cricket cookie. And uh, as you would expect, Scott and Clinton suggest Rocky Mountain oysters. Mm Mm-hmm. Google it. It's fine.
Scotty and Pontotoc, this is why I listened to this show, my friend. A never a dull moment. Here's a great show, guys. Worst thing I've ever eaten was uh, a food from Australia. Cow Vegemite. Uh, Vegemite? Vegemite. Awful. Yeah. Um, was that what I love, uh, what Lucy did and I love? Uh, no, that was Vita Vita Veg of something. Opossum strips, Keystone Light is about as bad as any of these. Monkey brains, etc., etc. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. We'll be right back. A couple of baseball nuggets for you before we get to the um, Pearl River Resort sports book at the Golden Moon Casino pick of the day. Uh, in a doubleheader sweep yesterday of the Orioles, Yankees slugger Glaber Torres continued his torrid pace against the Orioles. In 17 games this year against Baltimore, Glaber Torres for the Yankees has hit 13 home runs. 13 home runs against one team. He is one home run away from tying the most home runs by a Yankee against any single opponent in a single season ever. Uh, So that was a little crazy. Blue Jays scored 19 in a win last night over the Rangers. 19 to 4. 19 runs, 21 hits in the game. Um, Doubleheader going on this afternoon. Between the Astros and the White Sox, Astros leading in Game 1, 2-1, to one, and they will turn around and play tonight. And the Astros are a minus 670 play on the money line. Almost makes you think, hey, go the other way because the odds are so long, and it is Major League Baseball, and you see teams win all the time, one against the other. I mean, that would be a value play, right, Rippy, or is it a terrible play? Ivan Nova against uh, Garrett Cole. Kind of a mismatch on the mound. Yeah, but, I mean, you never know. Probably decent value. Uh, your sports book at the Golden Moon Casino in Philadelphia pick of the day. By the way, I hope you uh, ran and plopped your mortgage down last night on Tampa Bay. Plus... 120 on the money line, smoked San Diego. Tonight, Chris Sale going for the Boston Red Sox. He's a disaster. Facing Mike Clevenger of Cleveland. Game is in Cleveland. Cleveland is 72 and 47 on the year. The Red Sox are 62 and 59 with nothing to play for, and yet Boston is favored in this game. Wrong team favored. Your Pearl River Resort Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge, Golden Moon Casino, pick of the day, Cleveland on the money line, plus 110 over Chris Sale and the Boston Red Sox. No personal bias in there, is it? Uh, hey, Dad, hmm? you are, you're mistaking, uh, mistaken money for a team that I like or dislike. I'm just, I'm just saying. 
No, there is no personal bias in that pick. Chris Sale's been awful. And you get Cleveland plus 110 on the money line? It's a great play. It may not win, but it makes sense. Trying to paint me into Homer pick for the pick of the day? Come on, man. <laughs> Just saying. If you had been plopping a hundred bucks down on, on, on every pick of the day since this began back on the first of July, you would be big time in the black in your account. Borgo hitting about 75 percent. Is that about right? Something like that. Yeah, and I, I've downloaded an app. Um, and I may track your picks unless you're already doing it, but um, I'm looking no, forward I'm to. Well, well, then I'll start tracking yours, and I, I've downloaded an app for that, which is pretty cool. Um, but if you keep this up, you'll be way over sixty percent, like way over. Oh yeah, but I mean, at like fifty. What what's the number, Rippy? That that puts you profitable? Is it fifty three percent or something like that? I don't know that number. I do know most guys that like do it and give out picks for money, like sixty. They hit sixty percent. Fifty eight sixty. We'll have Bruce Marshall coming up before too terribly much longer. Um, he will join us on Fridays during football season. And also Lee Sterling uh, will join us on Thursday afternoons during football season. We had fun with both of those guys last year and so happy to have both of them back. Uh, be sure to ask them that question. What, what's what what's the number that a professional handicapper is pleased with? And they've got different ways that they go about it. I mean, they're they're not just like cherry-picking games like I do. Although if I'm clipping along at seventy-five or eighty percent, then I'm kidding. This thing, uh, this thing could go into a tailspin in a hurry. Buddy, we are having fun with the uh, the pick of the day uh, from Pearl River Resort. Be sure to check out the sports book next time you are in Philadelphia at the Golden Moon Casino. Really cool setup. We'll be there in uh, in a couple of weeks. Looking forward to that. A couple of hours in the books. The college football fix is coming your way on the other side of this brief timeout. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey on a Tuesday in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along on this Tuesday afternoon. Got the whole crew. Haydad's in Starkville. Rippy and I are in Oxford. Borky is in Jackson at the Worldwide Headquarters. And we're glad to have you along for the ride. Sports Talk uh, brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you have got needs as it pertains to buying land, financing or refinancing land, and you're in North Mississippi, then Mississippi Land Bank can help, would love to help, and I think you will be very pleased that uh, you were able to uh, to do business with them. Mississippi Land Bank has been in business for over 100 years. If you're a farmer and you've got equipment needs, need to buy a tractor, need to buy a combine, need to buy a cotton picker, need to buy a, uh, a sprayer, or some other equipment for the farm, or if you're buying new property or refinancing a loan or you need to get your production loans in line for the uh, for the coming season, 
Uh, talk to the folks at Mississippi Land Bank. Uh, their headquarters is in Senatobia. They've got branch offices all across North Mississippi. You can give them a call, or better yet, just stop by and see them in person. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. This is an article worth bookmarking from Ross Dellinger at SI.com. And if you are an Ole Miss fan, you will probably read this with interest. The headline for the story is Cal, yes, Cal, may have college football's best secondary. And the tweet from Ross Dellinger promoting the article, how has Cal produced maybe the best secondary in college football uh, out of two three-star cornerbacks, a receiver-turned-safety, and a walk-on hurdler. A deep dive on the answer, which involves a white marker board in a college kid's living room, sounds crazy. So uh, you may want to check that out from Ross Dellinger at SI.com. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. It's not just trucks, though. Everything you see on the lot at your local Mississippi Ford dealer, well-built, American-made, great vehicles to drive, whether it's the Explorer, the Expedition, or the Edge, or the best-selling F-150 You can save money on those right now with the Hurry Up and Save sales event. As much as 20% off manufacturer's uh, suggested retail price. So you can really save some money and get into a a great vehicle at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. All right, Borky, set this up for me. Yeah, so Sports Illustrated this week is basically having a best X thing in college football history news dump this week for some reason. I mean, they've done... Best college towns, they've done best mascots, helmets, uniforms, everything you can think of. And uh, one that has really got people fired up is the top 10 programs, overall programs, in college football's 150-year history. Uh, Ross, who you mentioned will be on with us tomorrow, his Twitter mentions are brutal because he's the one that wrote the excerpts for each program but didn't make the list, and people are mad at him about it. So. The top 10 programs in college football history, according to all of the writers at Sports Illustrated, are number 10, Oklahoma, 9, Tennessee, 8, Penn State, 7, Nebraska. Hold on, hold on. Let, let, let's slow down and walk through these. Okay. Now, 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 we're talking about in the history of the game. Oklahoma at 10. Tennessee at number 9, which would tell you that there's not a recency bias. Says while the stock for number ten on this list, Oklahoma is rising. The stock for number nine is falling rapidly. Forget national titles; the Vols are struggling to consistently field a team that makes a bowl game. Because of the struggles, Georgia is gaining on them in all-time wins, and USC has passed them for ninth place. Penn State, Nebraska, trying to make a resurgence under Scott uh, Frost. Notre Dame at six. The Irish and their eight AP titles are only bested by Alabama's 11, 897 all-time wins, tied with Nebraska for fifth, but only one other team on this list has a longer streak without a national championship. Southern Cal at five, Texas at four, Michigan at three, Ohio State at two, and shocking, Alabama at number one. 
fourth on the all-time wins list, first in titles, cemented themselves atop this list with five national championships under Nick Saban to go with the five that Bear Bryant won and the 1992 crown under Gene Stallings. So that is the all-time college football list from Sports Illustrated. Now what? Yeah, now I want to change some things a little bit because I don't really care about what happened 149 years ago. Yale has more national championships than everybody in the SEC except for Alabama. So uh, changing the parameters some, starting with the year 2000, because it's what I think most everybody can remember the most. What would your top 10 be? Because I think it would be pretty different than what we're seeing right here. Last 19 years. All right, so let's let's start by this. Not necessarily putting them in order, but out of the current top or the all-time top ten from Sports Illustrated, which teams would be in the top ten of the last two decades? Naturally, Alabama. I think Ohio Alabama State as would well. be. Two Ohio State titles. would be. Southern Cal would be. Yes, they would. Oklahoma would certainly would be. Florida. Mm-hmm. Florida would be two national championships in that time frame. LSU would be. LSU has two national championships in that time frame. Good call. Does Texas go there? They have a national championship and have played in a second title game, even though their last... What? I mean, Texas is back and whatnot, but there was a window there where they weren't. Well, and when you look at it, I mean, how many teams have won a national championship in the last 19 years? Miami was Southern really Cal, good in the early so, 2000s. So, Southern Cal, Miami, LSU, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma. Ohio State. Ohio State. Florida State. Florida. Auburn. Auburn. That's 10. Is there anybody we're missing? Anybody else out of the Pac-12? No. Southern Cal is the only one out of the Pac-12. That's it. Oklahoma is the only one out of the Big 12. Michigan was outside. No, Texas won in 2005. Okay. But uh, did we name Texas? You did not. I think it's just an oversight. Yeah, Texas is 11. Um... Ooh. So out of the ACC, you got Clemson, Miami, and Florida State. Out of the Big Ten, you've got Ohio State only? That's Penn right. Penn State has not. Michigan has not. Yeah. So, I mean, so, that's so 11 teams have won a national championship since the year 2000. Yes, sir. And Alabama has five of them. And Clemson has two of them. So seven of the 19 national champions have come from two teams. LSU's got two of them. It's like men's tennis-esque. Where it's either Federer or Nadal or the Joker. And then randomly you have a, a few others mixed in. Yeah. Pretty much how the college football playoff's gone. That's true. All right, so who? Uh, I mean, th- there you go, right? I mean, th- 
you wanted 10 teams, you've got 11 teams that have won a national championship. Of those 11 teams that we have named that have won a title in the last 19 years, who would you kick out of the top 10 teams? Who would you kick out? Or are there multiple teams you would kick out? Auburn. Auburn has won one and played for another, so they've been in two title games. And they have another undefeated season where they didn't get to play one, but they've had some bad seasons. They've, I mean, they, how, they, they might have more bad seasons in there than anybody else. There was a complete clunker where they went. They were 3-9 and nine and 12. 3-9 and nine and 0-8 oh and in the league. Yeah. So Tuberville's last year, they had a losing season, didn't they? Texas has had multiple losing seasons. That's who I would eliminate. But again, Texas has a title and has played for another one. So is Auburn. Think on that a little bit more and can continue that conversation. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. He's a national college football writer. will join us when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along on this Tuesday afternoon. Right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter at ESPN Rittenberg. He is a senior writer covering college football. Adam, appreciate a few minutes of your time this afternoon. Um, probably a little unfair to bring you in this way. We were talking um you got lists floating around all over the place this time of year. And we were looking at the all-time programs in college football, and uh, there were some lists that kind of ranked the top ten. And we were trying to kind of pare that down. If you go back since the turn of the century, so in the new millennium, trying to kind of rank the top ten football programs of the last 19 seasons, two decades, and there are only 11 teams that have won a national championship. Obviously, Alabama stands clear and away from everybody else with five. But when you start trying to eliminate one of those teams, it gets really hard. Uh, you know, there, there's some that are, are clear, like Alabama and Florida and LSU and Southern Cal. But do you start kicking Texas or Auburn or Michigan or somebody like that out of the conversation when you think about the last 10 years? Or excuse me, the last 19 years? Yeah, no, it's interesting to look at the the question in terms of time blocks because yeah, you go back you know fifty years or seventy years, of course, you know Michigan's in there and Texas is in there, and even a program like Tennessee uh, historically is is much higher than it is right now. But then you know, Michigan and Texas are two interesting programs because you know they're both mega brands, not just in the college athletics world, but in the sports world. You know, period. They're just that, that they're just huge properties, and both programs have not you know, matched up historically in the last 10 years ago, especially uh, t- t- 10 years or so, I should say, especially Michigan, which hasn't won the Big Ten going on 15 years. And so, yeah, it's hard to make that argument that you're one of the all-time greats, um, even though historically you might be w- when you haven't even won your division or made your Big Ten championship game since it started or won your conference. In Texas is obviously going on a, a similar type of drought here, even though they did make the Big 12 championship last year. So, yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, I, you don't want to be too wrapped up in recency bias when you're looking at lists like this, but it's just yeah. hard to it's hard to ignore when when there's been a little bit of an extended drought for you know, programs like Michigan and Texas. 
Adam, let's bounce around the country a little bit and kind of hit some high notes. Since we're talking about Michigan, let's start there. I was really fascinated a couple of weeks ago, uh, I guess it was at Big Ten Media Days, when Jim Harbaugh talked about the fact that uh, he may very well play two quarterbacks this year. Uh, but then you've heard reports out of Michigan's camp that, that Shea Patterson has had a good camp and really is kind of the leader on that offense. How much are we going to see of McCaffrey at, at quarterback this year for Michigan, or is this Shea Patterson's team? Well, I think it's Shea Patterson's team until they struggle. And I think you'll see McCaffrey situationally uh, abused by Josh Gaddis, the new offensive coordinator. But I think Josh was brought in you know, in large part to emphasize the things that Shea Patterson does best. You'll see more RPO. You'll see more passing overall. I mean, Josh Gaddis is a career receivers coach who's had really good receivers at pretty much every stop, whether it's Vanderbilt, Penn State, and certainly Alabama last year, which may have had the, the most talented receiving core in the country. And so they're going to throw it around, and it's going to look different. I think the question that a lot of coaches have in the Big Ten when I talk to them about Michigan is what's going to happen when there's failure? What's going to happen when it doesn't work? Is Jim Harbaugh going to reclaim everything, and is it going to look like it has the last three or four years? And that could also include the quarterback maybe uh, you know, m- making a shakeup there. But I do think they're going to try to do everything possible for this to be Shea Patterson's offense. You mentioned Gaddis, a former Alabama assistant. There's another former Alabama assistant who left under strange circumstances. Dan Enos now at Miami. We spent a lot of time talking about Miami because of that Week Zero game with Miami and Florida. They name a starting quarterback. If you think back to the time that Dan Enos was with Brett Bielema at Arkansas, it felt like he really did a nice job calling plays and kind of bringing quarterbacks along. How important is Dan Enos uh to Miami's success this year in Manny Diaz's first year as the head coach? Sure. Well, not to give away my entire upcoming story, but I do have a piece uh, coming up for E-plus on impact coordinators. And while I would put Josh Caddis maybe in a little bit higher category just because it's Michigan and there's a lot more writing on the season, Dan Enos is on the list as well. He's a a major impact coordinator, a new guy coming in from the outside. And you mentioned the work at Arkansas. Uh, you know, he, he, he did do great work last year with, with Tua Tungavailoa and his development, even Jalen Hurts and his development, as you saw in the SEC championship game. And, and now he's going to, you know, be running the show, so to speak, in Miami. They named Jaron Williams as their starting quarterback earlier this week. They open a week early against uh, Florida in Orlando. And that certainly came as a surprise. A lot of us thought it was going to be either Nikosi Perry, who was the backup and part-time starter, last year, or it was going to be Tate Martell, the Ohio State transfer. So already you've had a, a bit of a shakeup, a surprise decision, and one that uh, you know Dan, Danny Enos, along with head coach Manny Diaz, hope uh, works out for Miami this year. Because, you know, you look at their overall roster, while their depth is probably not where it will be in a year or two, you know, they, they may be a quarterback away from winning the ACC Coastal. It's just that week of a division. And so uh, with Enos coming in, I, I do like their chances a little bit more because of his background. So, so not to dig too much into the piece that you've got coming out, but will Ole Miss fans find it interesting uh, when they read that, when you look at uh, the two pieces that Matt Luke added at the coordinator roles this year? Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't have both of them on there, but I, I did, you know, just because I, even though I think both uh, you know, Rich Rodriguez and Mike McIntyre are um, guys that obviously come in with, with you know, great reputations and, and have both been head coaches, but I think McIntyre, uh, his impact this year could be a lot bigger because of you know the struggles on defense, as you guys know. Uh, you know they had to make a coordinator change after last year. 
just has, has not been that, that defense that really propelled Ole Miss when thinking back to the, you know, the 2014 season in particular. So I think Mike McIntyre, as a guy who has a background in defense, he did a tremendous job uh, turning around Colorado's defense, especially in 2016 when they won the Pac-12 South and he was National Coach of the Year and they had a couple of NFL draft picks off of that defense. So I'm fascinated to see what he can do with a group that, let's face it, you know, just isn't as talented as, as Ole Miss hopes or, or could be in the future. Uh, yeah. but, uh, but they have a guy who certainly knows what he's doing as far as scheme and development. Adam Rittenberg on your radio. You can follow him on Twitter at ESPN Rittenberg, senior college football writer for ESPN and E+. Two teams this year that I feel like are getting a lot of publicity leading up to the season, neither of them traditional blue bloods, Utah and Nebraska. So Nebraska in the Big Ten West, Utah in the uh, in the Pac-12 South. Which of those two teams is more intriguing to you, or maybe asked a different way, is more likely to kind of live up to some of this buildup that they're getting in the preseason? Yeah, for, for me, it's an easy answer, and it might surprise you guys, but it's Utah. Um, yeah, okay. I just think that in talking to coaches, you know, if, if coaches had to rank like their favorite teams, like just the, just the teams that they love to watch, just because of how they play the game, Utah would be in almost every coach's top five, just because they're so good at the line of scrimmage. They're an incredibly physical team. Win or lose, you're going to feel it after playing them. They're always among the nation's best. In the kicking game, it was a big, a big trademark, uh, an emphasis point for Kyle Whittingham. Now, you know, they've cycled through offensive coordinators. It's been kind of similar to Alabama, but I think they're, uh, they've gone through nine offensive coordinators in 11 years. And Andy Ludwig, who, who has been there before as an OC, actually he was there the year that they beat Alabama to go undefeated in 2008. Uh, now he's back as their play caller. And so that's going to be an interesting, uh, uh, you know, situation to watch there in Salt Lake City. But I, I just think with what they have coming back, um, and you know, winning the division last year, I think they absolutely are a team that could take another step and win the conference. Whereas Nebraska, it's a pretty dramatic jump from going four, you know, going four and eight, uh, and really struggling the last two seasons to you know winning the Big Ten or getting to the Big Ten championship game. They've only done that once since they joined the conference. And I think the, the depth in the Big Ten West, which might surprise people, is better than the, the, the depth in the Pac-12 South, as I look at it. So I think, uh, I think Nebraska's got a tougher road in many ways to get to their championship games. I would agree, tougher overall road, but maybe a schedule that's favorable. But one thing I would ask you, you so you're sold on Utah's defense, even with them losing Cody Barton and Chase Hansen, who combined for 230 tackles last year? Yeah, I mean, Hanson in particular was a beast. I, I, I was at their game against Stanford, and you know, very few teams pushed Stanford around. Utah absolutely pushed them around. It was a dominating victory. Now, I, I just been talking to you know Gary Anderson, who had been their D-line coach. Now he's the head coach at Utah State. Um, and Morgan Scally, their defensive coordinator. They just have a lot of confidence, especially in that front, to reload. I mean, Bradley Anai is one of the better you know, kind of unknown defensive lineman in the in the country. Jalen Johnson, one of the better unknown or lesser known defensive backs in the country. You know, NFL scouts just love their personnel, and so yeah, those guys are significant losses, and they're not going to be overall uh, very deep at linebacker. But I think that the the defense is still going to be an effective group, and they bring back you know an all senior backfield of uh, of Tyler Johnson and Zach Moss. Both of those guys got hurt. You know, towards the end of last year, they were both playing at a high level especially in that Stanford game. And, and so if Andy Ludwig can, can kind of get the most out of them, I don't think they're going to need their defense necessarily as much hmm. as they did at times last season. Adam, really good stuff, man. I appreciate your time this afternoon. Hope we can uh, can do this again soon. 
For sure, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. That's Adam Rittenberg from uh, ESPN. You can read his work at ESPN.com. Follow him on Twitter at ESPN Rittenberg. Hitting on some national college football storylines. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. All right, so we had to press pause on the conversation a moment ago about the top ten programs since the turn of the century. 2000 through the 2019 National Championship game. Eleven teams have won a national championship. You have one split title, uh, LSU and Southern Cal, and so that gives both of them two national championships. Bama's got five. Florida has two. They won in 06 and 08. LSU's got two. Clemson has two recently. Ohio State has two. And then you've got single national championships for Oklahoma, Texas, Florida State, Miami, and Auburn. So if there are 11 teams there, and that's kind of the criteria you're using, you've got to eliminate one. I'm leaving Oklahoma. I think they've been a model of consistency. So to me, your debate is between Auburn, Miami, Florida State, Texas. I guess that's it. You got to eliminate one of those teams. Is it Miami? I first said Texas, well, I guess before we went to the interview, it was either Texas or Auburn, but what has Miami done since 2001? Well, another two get to stay because they won one and went to another each. Miami has it. Yeah, Texas and Auburn both have done that. Miami won in 2001 and lost in 2002. Oh, yeah, the Willis McGahee freak injury night. Against Ohio State. uh, But... So if we're just using those parameters, I mean, pre-2001, Miami was great, but after that game, what have they been? It down real quick. I mean, 2003, they're 11-2, and 9-3, and 9-3, and then 7-6, and 5-7, and seven, and just basically mediocrity since then. So, yeah, Miami's out. I tend to agree with you. Texas has had a down cycle. But in that down cycle, what did Texas have? Two five and seven seasons. They did lose. Was it to worse Kansas. than five and seven one year? Well, I, I know. <laughs> I, I understand still, that. Still can't believe that happened. It and happen, Auburn had the one big clunker at three and nine, and it cost Gene Chizik his job. But Auburn's been pretty consistently good. Well, Auburn. Their their good seasons feel like outliers. Like their their big seasons, they, they feel like outliers to me. Whereas with Texas, I, I expect them to be good. If that makes sense. But how many how many really good seasons has Texas had in that window? In Outside the last, of the two, the national championship well, I mean, and the year you know, they played prior for to one. yeah after the national championship after basically uh, the, they lost to. Uh, to Alabama. To Alabama. That's where it started to go downhill. Because prior to that, I mean, Texas was a consistent nine, ten, even eleven. I mean, look for two thousand nine and three, eleven two, eleven and two, ten and three, eleven and one, thirteen and zero, ten and three, ten and three, twelve and one, thirteen and one. Yeah. And then the next year they're five and seven. 
Right. To me, Florida State stays. Yeah. I think Miami is the one that goes. Uh, I don't. I just don't see how you can disagree with that. They haven't really been relevant in college football since the early part of 2000. You know, they, they made a splash, what was it, two years ago, and yeah. then fell off at the end. Yeah. Man, that was year one for Mark Richt and the craziness of the turnover chain and all that went with it. Okay. It is. Are been... they still a thing? Turnover chains? Yeah. Uh, I would bet that Manny's bringing that back. I would bet that we'll see some turnover. Memphis has one, don't they? You, you might see one on game week one. Perhaps. I think everybody's got one at this point. Has, a, has some sort of a sideline gimmick. Florida State had a maroon backpack. That was hilarious. Tennessee <laughs> had a trash can. The trash can was good, yeah. Well, that was just uh, symbolism uh, working itself out. Looking at Texas's record, I mean, since 2009 when they were 13-1, and one, they have been completely irrelevant. Outside of the brand and being in Austin, they've been nothing. I, it's... I guess it's still hard to believe because they still move such a needle and they make so much money and everybody talks about them and they're so high profile, but Texas has been hot garbage for the last decade. Borky, speaking of Texas and money, the USA Today um, Athletic Department finances database is out. And Texas is back in the number one spot in terms of total revenue. Two hundred nineteen million four hundred two thousand five hundred seventy nine dollars against two hundred six and a half million in total expenses. So about a twelve million dollar profit for the Texas A and M Athletics Department. Number two on the list, Texas A and M. Two hundred twelve million, roughly four hundred thousand. Versus 165 million, almost 166 in expenses, a 36 plus million dollar profit at Texas A&M last year. Only one other school in college foot or in, in college athletics had a total revenue of over 200 million. That was Ohio State at 205.5. All right, so what about the SEC schools? Uh, obviously, Texas A&M is at the top at uh, at that really big $212 million number. Pretty big gap between Texas A&M and Alabama at number two. And that is a gap of 22, about $32 million. Alabama at $177 million. Georgia just behind them at 176.7. Then a pretty significant drop off. Florida's 15 million behind Georgia at 161. Another 14 million dollar drop off to Auburn at 147. LSU behind them at 145, just ahead of Tennessee at 143. South Carolina at 140. Kentucky at 134 and Arkansas at 130. Ole Miss operated at a deficit last year, and this is a little bit of a change because Ole Miss, uh, the year before, was up closer to 120 million. Last year, 110 million nine hundred twelve thousand versus 116 million in expenses. So, a minus six million dollar 
Uh, I guess it's a $6 million deficit for Ole Miss Athletics, on paper at least. And when you take into account the $8 million that they lost from the SEC, there's your difference in operating in the black versus operating in the red and being at $111 million versus $119 million. Pretty remarkable. I mean, the penalty... Uh, I don't want to go down this road today. I'm sure you don't either, but that's why. Yeah, we're... yeah, yeah. But they got penalized. But the thing that stands out to me on this list, by the way, just a few spots ahead of Ole Miss and Mississippi State. This one blows my mind. I assume this is just because they're not in the SEC. Clemson, 27th in America, 120 million dollars in revenue. It's the best team in college football right now. The best program in college football right now. Yeah. Still 27th on this list. Well, that's probably about to change a little bit with uh, the influx of money from the ACC network. So Ole Miss at number 30 overall, Missouri's at 31, and then Mississippi State at number 35. But, hey, Dad, pretty profitable. Almost $104 million in revenue. And I think, I'd have to go back and check last year's database, but I think this is the first year that Mississippi State has surpassed $100 million in total revenue. I believe you're and- right. And, and that is against $89.8 million in expenses. So about a $13.1 million surplus. And when you start talking about surpluses and deficits, different athletics departments do their accounting in different ways. But based on these numbers, that's a $13 million surplus for Mississippi State Athletics. And that's a big deal. I expect much better catering this year in the press box. That's all I'm going to say to that. Uh, now, there is an expensive baseball stadium to pay for. Sorry, there there is that, but a lot of that is 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 already is not coming out of the athletic department budget. They 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 got a lot of money up ahead of that. Um, but that said, yeah, I mean that, that's sort of been the the thing. You know, that was used to be the running joke at Mississippi State about Larry Templeton. He kept everything in the black, and he didn't. But he didn't ever spend money. Now you can see that Mississippi State is is spending money just like everybody else. But they're they're doing a good job uh, being financially responsible. Um, you know, next year's list. I, I understand that these numbers kind of run together, and they're hard to do on the radio. But next year's list will be fascinating because Mississippi State is incrementally trending up. And they've got that surplus. Ole Miss is likely, unless football goes really, really, really well this year, is likely to come in at a deficit again next year. And so those budgets are going to get closer together. And next year's numbers will not re- will once again reflect that minus eight million in SEC revenue. It will be the following year before Ole Miss gets that bump. So, we'll see. We'll see what these numbers look like uh, a year from now. All A Super Talk Mississippi media production.